Give it a shot. The Alexandria Times encourages all residents to get the COVID-19 vaccine when available to protect yourself and your community. We are currently in phases 1A and 1B of the vaccine availability. Visit the City of Alexandria website at www.alexandriava.gov to pre-register for the vaccine waitlist. Hello, and welcome to Speakeasy, the Alexandria Times podcast. My name is Cody Mellokline, editor at the Times, and today I am pleased to be joined by the owner and operator of Goodies Frozen Custard, uh, Brandon Bird. Uh, he's he's someone who's, whose work will become, I guess, I think intimately familiar to anyone in Alexandria once their old town location opens up at the Ice House soon. Um, but yeah, th- in the meantime, thanks for joining me, Brandon. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're running all over the place, finishing up some last touches on the store, but thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me and uh, good morning. Yeah, good morning. I wanted to start out by talking a little bit about your childhood because I think everybody's childhood plays a role in kind of where they end up going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was I was born in Alabama and um, you know most traditional Southern families have a large family. So I have three other siblings. Um, I have quite a few aunts and uncles. And, um, you know, uh, we have a family form there. And so I really just grew up in a family where um, it was lots of love and, you know, hard work was, you know, good, you know, a good way to build character and obviously strong muscles. Um, you know, my, my granddaddy, uh, you know, would be up at the crack of dawn and, um, you know, he would be out on the farm, whether it's, you know, back in the day, it was, you know, he grew cotton and then uh, from cotton soybeans, um, you know, and then had, you know, some live, uh, you know, livestock as well. Um, you know, and then I was accustomed to seeing, you know, uh, my, you know, my, my grandmother, you know, making breakfast, you know, every morning, um, you know, for my, you know, for my granddad and my mom um, would always, you know, cook dinner and, you know, make hot meals. So, Honestly, I really just grew up in a, in a, in a, you know, in a family where like it was very customary to have, you know, home cooked meals on a daily mm-hmm. basis. And so because of that, um, you know, by default or just curiosity, maybe you find yourself in the kitchen and I was in the kitchen with my mom all the time. So when, when my siblings were out playing, uh, I was in the kitchen helping my mom as her mini sous chef, uh, whether it's, you know, chopping, dicing. Um, you know, making stovetop custard for the banana pudding, uh, whatever. I just really um, took a liking to, you know, to, to the kitchen. So, um, you know, my, my parents were divor- got divorced and we left Alabama, moved to California. And um, I essentially spent, um, I was in California until um, right around 1995, uh, where, you know, where I grew up, um, you know, a, a good chunk of my youth. Mm-hmm. And then moved to Wisconsin um, my sophomore, junior year of, of high school, finished high school, stayed in Wisconsin, um, you know, and undergrad, um, you know, as well. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I would say I'm pretty well traveled, but a lot of my, you know, influence even still today, you know, it really um, is anchored in my, my, my childhood and the fact that like, 
most of the desserts that I do offer are, you know, you know, rooted in a Southern mm-hmm. um, tradition. So if you think, you know, bread puddings or you think peach cobblers, um, you know, apple crisps, those are just treats that I grew up with that my mom would make. And, you know, as a, you know, as her helper in the kitchen, you learn how to make those, those treats. So um, a lot of my influence really is just really, um, you know, was dictated based on my childhood and the things that I got to do in the kitchen with my mom. So when I really thought about goodies and like what I wanted it to stand for and what I wanted it to mean, and even what I wanted to share, it always came back to like those pleasant memories that I had as a, you know, as a, as a child in the kitchen with my mom. It's, it's interesting because from Alabama to California to Wisconsin is not only like a lot of moving around, but it's also a lot of like, those are three very distinct places culturally mm-hmm. how was it like for you especially as a as a kid having to move to those different places what do you feel like that gave you in terms of just personally but also in terms of what you do professionally it, it's an interesting kind of cultural mix of experiences to have as a kid yep uh, no, that's a great question i think you know it's um someone use food as an analogy right um yeah. you know it's like making gumbo i mean gumbo it's a it's a seafood based dish, but it's a it's a number of different things. I mean, you have the sausage, you have the okra, the tomatoes. You know, you have your roux. You know, you have your chicken. And when you think about it, like you have all these different things culminating in this amazing dish. And so, um, I think like well rounded, you know, folks or people, they have a a, a myriad of experiences. It's not just your three mile, you know, radius in your neighborhood, but it's, it's, it's international, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, it's statewide. And so I think that has helped me really well because like, especially in an area like the DMV where it's, it's a transient area where you have like every four years, roughly maybe eight, but every four years you have a new administration coming in. And so you have a different crop of people coming. Mm -hmm. So there's always an influx of new faces, um, you know, uh, um, new dialects. I mean, so I think being able to have that background of just being in, you know, Southern roots, West Coast, um, you know, um, comfort with the Midwest taste, and you roll all that into one, you have this really amazing gumbo. When you moved on from high school and then ended up going to college, where did you go? And what what did you, I guess, what was your, did you know what you wanted to do going into college? <laughs> Well, you know, I think so what I've learned is that like the the path you start may not always be the path you end up on. Sure. So when I initially went to I went to undergrad at University of Wisconsin Eau Claire, which is um, you know, northwest of Madison, about an hour outside of Minneapolis. Um, I actually went to school for kinesiology. Okay. Lot, so a lot of folks are like, so wait a second, you went you went to school for kinesiology and now you're doing food and hospitality. Like how, Yeah. what's the connection? Um, kind of back to my original point, what you, you know, what you initially start may, may not be how you, you know, end up. Um, I, um, I wanted to be a physical therapist, some, something in the sports medicine world. So it was, you know, athletic trainer or physical therapist. Um, but I knew I wanted to, do, I, at least I thought I did. I wanted something within the sports world. And um, I just really didn't know exactly how, when, and what that would look like. Um, and I'm actually doing 
frozen custard now. So yeah. <laughs> do I do I use my degree, my undergrad degree? Not really. Um, sure. But again, it's part of that experience when people, you know, when they ask you, you know, what's kind of helped shape you, right? Because all your past is a culmination. Like who you are today is a culmination of your past, right? And so that helps tell your story. Although it may may not be like this straight beeline, um, like, hey, I went, I, I got my kinesiology degree and that's, and, and then I became an athletic trainer. No, that typically isn't the case. Um, and um, so I think it's, it's really helped me in that regard because like when I do tell folks that they're like, so how did you, like, how did this come about? And I'm like, well, a lot of it was just passion, right? So like, you know, I started in kinesiology. I, I ended up in food. Along the way, I did marketing. I did event, you know, events and, you know, was a promoter. But all those experiences kind of really helped me in in the world of goodies today. So I do want to talk to you a little bit about your experience in marketing and promotion because it was, as far as I'm aware, it was a lot of work in, in entertainment and music, which is a very specific world and I think appeals to a lot of people. When When did you sort of start doing that kind of work what appealed to you about that world? And then I know you you eventually obviously left it for, for goodies for very specific reasons. What stopped being the appeal to you about that world eventually? Because I, as I understand it, you sort of had a had a journey within the world of marketing and, and kind of the music industry. Yep, yep, no, very good question. I mean, I would say my first taste of marketing slash promotions and entertainment was back in college. So I... Um, I would host socials and events. And um, so like back in Eau Claire, like my house became known as like the hangout spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was very much about my business, you know, schoolwork, but I still, you know, being in Wisconsin where there's not a ton of people of color, uh, especially at the University you know, of Wisconsin Eau Claire, you know, you find a, a natural connection with those that are, you know, you know, you know, looking for, a family network, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so it really started back in in college, and you know we would do stuff like barbecues or soul food dinners to relive those those memories, right? That was lacking, you know. So <laughs> what started out as like, hey, we're just gonna get together for a summertime barbecue or a fall, you know, meet up, and you know we're gonna queue or we're gonna do um, you know cook dinner, do a potluck style. Everybody brings a dish. Um, it really just became like the norm like hey we know Fridays and Saturdays we're going to be at Brandon's place um so my my um you know after I really saw the connection I was like man this is an amazing experience that you'd be able to connect different folks you know from different parts of Wisconsin and Minneapolis and just the Midwest in general um that's really what kind of like piqued my interest in like Mm. this whole marketing and promotion world Uh, so when I left when I graduated from Eau Claire I went to grad school at Kentucky University of Kentucky and um the very first um concert that i ever did was nappy roots and um nappy roots is this hip-hop group um that that was from kentucky and they had the time they had this you know you know probably one of one of the hottest records in the nation and um i had this relationship with this 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 um uh club or bar there called varsity blue in lexington kentucky and um it was like hey can you help us bring nappy roots and do this concert with us i was like absolutely so i did it it was a huge success and um, it really just grew from there. Like I was like addicted because I was like, mm-hmm. you know, you take something like this idea, this novelty idea, and then you put it together and then you see it 
it, you know, the end result and you're like, that's my work. <laughs> like, oh, wow, like I did that. And, it, and it's more than just, you know, it's more than just like, um, um, you know, booking the artist, but it's like, you have to book the artist, you have to market the artist, you have to market the event, you have to secure the, the, the venue. I mean, so many different things that went into it. This, and this also predates, um, you know, Instagram, Twitter, yeah. right? I mean, it's, so back in the day, I would order five and 10,000 flyers. Um, and for a month straight, I would, I would go to all the, the bars and nightclubs and I would put them on people's car window. <laughs> and I would do that for three weeks, you know, to four weeks ahead of schedule because I wanted to create, you know, create this ground swirl and get, get folks excited about it. Um, so I think, you know, from a, you know, from a, a very um, tactical standpoint, I learned like the, the, the foundation of like grassroots marketing. Sure. Like, I, I think when you look at it, um, you know, like you need those skills even in business, right. To be able and, and have no issue with getting out in the trenches with, you know, with your potential customer base. Um, but I did, I did, um, you know, event marketing and promotions for, for many years. And, um, so it grew from, you know, just being a local promoter in Lexington, Kentucky to my first, you know, one of my first jobs was, was with Bacardi, um, mm. you know, and I was there in Kentucky and they used to be one of my clients and, um, they had an opportunity in Chicago. And so the, the state manager for, you know, Kentucky had said, Hey, would you be interested in doing what you're doing here um, in Kentucky, but in Chicago. And I was like, well, tell me more. So they started telling me more and it's like, we want you basically to be our promoter. And, but the difference is you're gonna have a budget to do things. That's all I needed to hear. I yeah. Said, <laughs> I said, sign me up. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they, so I, I, um, I, um, I took the opportunity, went to Chicago and essentially what I did in, you know, in Kentucky, I, I replicated it in the big city of Chicago. But, you know, over time you could do that and you could have a tremendous amount of success. But it's like anything else, you know, we, you know, you know, we grow, we outgrow our current situations. And I feel like um, my love for hip hop was starting to wane a bit because um, I was I was outgrowing hip hop and. You know, when I, you know, when I initially fell in love with hip hop, that was like, the, you know, around the time, you know, when you think like Bobby Brown, you know, or, or Nas, I mean, although Bobby Brown isn't, and I'm going to lump this all together. When I say hip hop, we're also going to talk about R&B, but yeah. it was this love for this, this, um, you know, the early hip hop, not what it is today. And um, I just started to realize hip hop was evolving. It was changing and the direction that it was going wasn't necessarily aligning with you know, my, my values anymore. You know, it was more about, it was much more destructive. It was much more, um, it was no longer about being braggadocious because, you know, you're the illest MC, you know, and you can freestyle, you know, and or b-boy, but it was talking about like, it became much more um, materialistic. It became much more, you know, degrading to the community. And I felt like if I was gonna, um, you know, utilize my expertise in marketing and events, I really didn't want to, you know, promote something that like was destructive to the community. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it was, and I think, you know, it's like even your favorite artist, I think there's a natural maturation of 
or it should be uh, all of us, but even, you know, as a celebrity or fa your favorite artist, there should be a natural maturation. What you did at, at 21, I hope you're not rapping about at 31 after all the success. I just, I, I think I outgrew it and I, and I no longer had the, the connection. I never, you know, I think, you know, things that you do in life, should, you should have a, a, a connection with it. You know, it should, it should speak to your soul. Hip hop, you know, even still, it does speak to me, but not in the same form anymore. Mm. And I realized that like, I can listen to it, but do I really want to promote it, market it, grow it the way I did? And the answer was no. So um, I just had to, you know, you know, I had to really, you know, look in the mirror and say, you know, do you want to, do you, do you want your legacy to be that you, you know, help build brands, you know, you know, with hip hop, or did you want to build a, a, a communal brand that folks could be proud of that, you know, when I did have, you know, a family, like, you know, my own daughters or sons that they could, I, I would feel proud about bringing them to work. Right. I mean, those are the type of things that I really thought about in terms of my next move and what it, what what I wanted to do. What was the inspiration or the spark behind the concept of goodies? Because there's a lot of things in there. There's obviously the the retro, the the classic like rock and uh, kind of soul music. There's the vintage van. There's the Wisconsin style custard. How did all of those things sort of come together? And where where did you find all that inspiration? Well, so, I mean, the inspiration came from my childhood. I mean, my um, stepdad um, had ten, a 10 acre um, junkyard, like literally mm. 10 acres of classic American cars. Think Chevys and Chryslers and Mopar and Fords and every, everything under the sun. And um, I would literally spend weekends picking cars and gas pumps and um, vintage gas signs. So, so, so think of modern day American pickers before it became a yeah. TV show. That's what I was doing as a kid. Okay. And, 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 and not only that, but like after I would go pick with my, my, um, my dad, my stepdad, we would always, you know, get a float and, um, we would go to back in California. There was this um, place called, um, Bartell brothers. And, um, it was your traditional, like, drive-in hamburger stand that made hamburgers fries milkshakes floats stuff like that and um you know in california the 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 car culture is huge yeah so you'll see vintage cars all over all the time that's just what it is unlike here or in the midwest where there's tons of salt um and folks are only going to bring that stuff out in the summertime california was it was ever present and so obviously for for my for me and my stepdad like picking old cars you know, and, you know, then going to a drive-in, it really was very, very fitting for us. Um, you know, not only that, but a lot of folks don't know, but my stepdad was a pastor. So I grew mm -hmm. up in the church. And when you grow up in the church, you know, soul music is, you know, for lack of a better word, soul music is in your bones, man. Like, it's, you know, it's it's in your bloodline. And, and not just gospel soul music, but, I mean, I grew up listening. You know, we would clean the house on the weekends, you know, do a big deep clean on the weekends. And, you know, my mom would put on, you know, Wilson Pickett or Otis Redding and I would jam it out, I'm vacuuming or dusting or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, when I really started to think about those, those, those pleasant memories and what it was that I wanted to recreate, it all came back to my childhood. It came back to like, I'm in the kitchen with my mom. I'm in the, 
I'm in the tow truck with my, you know, like Sanford and son. Um, yeah. I'm, in, I'm in the tow truck with my, you know, my dad. We're out picking cars, um, having a sarsaparilla, um, listening to, you know, Wilson Pickett or the likes. And, you know, all those things um, really culminated in what you see now in goodies. When I, like I said, when I was thinking about my next, you know, move, um, I really wanted it to, you know, uh, I really wanted it to resonate with me outside of like, oh, I'm doing marketing. But I looked at it and like, okay, how can I do marketing? How can I create a legacy? You know, how can I have my family involved? How can I, you know, market, you know, a, a, a pleasant product that was wholesome and pure? And honestly, like, that's how the birth of goodies, you know, came to fruition. Yeah. Specifically the music, because I think obviously there, there's a whole goodies is very much like an experiential kind of thing. There's a whole, mm -hmm. there's a whole nostalgia that comes from, from your own nostalgia, but also I think people's general sense of nostalgia for that, mm -hmm. for all those things, mm -hmm. specifically the music. What for you is sort of the lasting appeal of, of, that music obviously it's, it's as you said it's uh it's coming from in some cases a very spiritual place a very a very soulful place a very pure place um what does that music mean to you specifically and i guess how does that connect to i guess the overall philosophy of goodies any one of my playlists i love because like yeah they, I, I appreciate them for different reasons right so I, okay. I you know when i look at someone like chuck berry i, I have a lot of respect for him because of his um, his business acumen at, at like in a time like you know during the civil rights movement for right like and I look at like how how sharp he was you know during a time where like um, you, you know the the pendulum of justice really didn't swing in you know black America's favor I appreciate all the artists that I listen to for different reasons but then also the connection of just music in general mm -hmm. um soul music is, is 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 timeless it's you know it's it's like um you know it, you know it's like weathered um you know um barnwood or you know galvanized steel it has this great patina but it's still mm -hmm. rock it's still rock solid that's the same thing with the music that i that i you know play on the truck or you know soon to be at the ice house is you know, like that stuff is timeless. The music they was talking about 60 years ago is still relevant today because they spoke from a place of um, discomfort. And, and, you know, now it's comfortable, um, you know, you know, to, to share, a, 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 you know, a cup of custard and, and still listen to this, you know, like, you know, to this, you know, this great classic music, um, you know, and, and not only that, but a lot of the value that these artists um, like I said, they grew most of these the, these artists that we appreciate now. They grew up in the church, so mm -hmm. they're or, they had really good foundation. So that's one of the big reasons why you know amongst many why I, I love that that music because like there's so much there's so many values there's so much into it than just like I'm gonna sh play this guitar, mm -hmm. I'm gonna play the piano. I mean the the music that, I, that my choice in music is again it, it it just came from like my childhood. I love it because it it you know it has a lot of um, a lot of soul, a lot of integrity. Um, you know, those those artists back then, they actually had to perform. They actually had to be talented. Mm -hmm. You know, there was there was no computer generated, um, you know, voice to disguise if you could really sing or not or play the instrument. You really had to be talented. Like, so 
it's like um you know there's a saying that you know old folks used to say which is like slow feet don't eat mm-hmm. and essentially what that means is, is like if you know if if you don't work you don't eat like your talent has is going to feed you and and i respect that a lot especially during those days because these 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 artists they had to be talented in order to eat like this is it i know we're talking about pretty much everything other than the custard and we will get that to that in a little bit but i'm curious about the van that you you have used for quite a while as kind of the food truck version mm-hmm. of goodies um where did you where did you find this thing because it's it's especially kind of the way you've done it up it's it's very striking immediately looking but i I understand that a lot of work went into what this van is now. Yeah. So um, the van, her, her name is Gigi. And um, okay. so, yeah, you know, most folks know, you know, whenever I make a post um, about the van, sometimes I'll say, you know, Hey, Gigi's going to be at LaFont Plaza, for example. And, and most <laughs> early on, a lot of folks are like, who's Gigi? I'm like, I'm like, that. <laughs> I'm like, that's the van. They're like, Oh, okay. So it's funny, even still today, um, you know, folks would be like, Hey, Brandon, where's Gigi at today? It, like, like someone that messaged me yesterday was like, Hey, is Gigi going to be at Easter market? Cause normally on Sundays I'm at Easter market. Yeah. And um, so I was like, man, like Gigi has her own fan club. Right. It wasn't always like that because, you know, I took this, 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 you know, 60 plus year old van, um, you know, that was in a junkyard with bullet holes and restored it into what you see it is today. You know, again, when I when I think of like um, the pride of America, I'd say it's when we were makers, right, and not just consumers. And it's when like made in America really meant something. It wasn't just like a stamp, but it was like, no, we have you know we're we have a foundry where we're making the letters, and we're you know making you know the the steel that. Is, are going into these cars and so when i really thought about like the touch points what i wanted the brand to look like and feel like um it wasn't a a, a modern ups van it wasn't a mail van that we see but it was something it had to be an old van you know it had to be the van that i, I would see in my, my my stepdad's junkyard in northern california that that's what i saw when i kept looking i was like no i see that van that's sitting over in the over in the corner of the junkyard that's full of weeds the windshield is broken out you know and the doors are open and waters get into it but i was like that's the van that i i, I want that van right there and that's really when i kept thinking about it mm. it was always those memories like it was memories like that and i was just like this is this has to be what you do brandon and so um when i found the van it needed a lot of work obviously sure and um you know it you know, it, it was a complete, um, you know, re- rehab project. But I felt like if I wanted to be authentic to myself and credible to the DMV, it had to be, you know, the, the path least traveled. And that's instead of going to buy a modern van where you can just, you know, you know, you know, um, slap on a wrap, you know, it had to be this, this, this old school van with the white wall tires, with Motown, you know, bumping out of it you know, with a 350. So when I, you know, when I fire it up, you know, it, it has that growl that people expect to hear from that good old American, mm-hmm. you know, still. Right. And, um, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I um, took Gigi, restored it. And, um, you know, it was like, this is going to be my custard cruiser. You know, when I really thought about like, even the color scheme, I wanted it to be patriotic. So hence red, red, white, and sure. blue. Um, 
I wanted, you know, I didn't want a dark blue, but I wanted a lighter blue because it means, it, at least for me, it meant, you know, refreshing and cool and, you know, pure, right? So all these things really I thought, in my eyes, I really think I thought about the touch points that the customer would see that I had in my head. And I was like, how do I dump all this out into a van? But it, but it, but has the, has the journey been easy? No, because I tell anyone, like when I first started the first two years, you know, it was, everything was all original. Yeah. In line six going up, you know, I remember I did an event at the national, it was called Brew in the Zoo. And this is probably a good seven years ago, eight years ago. It was at Brew in the Zoo and it was very hilly over in Northwest. Man, let me tell you, like, <laughs> I, I may have been going like 10 miles an hour, maybe. It was struggling. Yeah. Like to go 10 miles an hour. And it's a three on the tree in the first gears of granny gear. So it's literally, you go, like, you literally, like, go 30 seconds and you put it in gear. But, like, the problem was, you know, you have to get momentum. Yeah. Going up a hill, there's no momentum. <laughs> so I had all these negative forces working against me. If I did 10 miles an hour, I was doing good. I probably could have got off the truck and walked faster up the hill. Than... <laughs> so it was stuff like that. But I did that for at least two years, maybe even three years with the original running gear. That's That was drum brakes, no power steering, all manual. Yeah. Like everything. And, you know, I would tell people, they'd be like, well, yeah, you're only going to the Fun Plaza. Why are you leaving an hour early? I'm like... I'm cruising at 20 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour. That's why, you know, and um, it, again, I, that that's the journey. So, um, yeah, man, that's, um, you know, that's, that's GG in a nutshell, you know? Yeah. People love GG from what I can tell. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's the, um, it's the first interaction with the brand. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and because of that, it really sets the tone for the experience thereafter. Case in point, if I'm at LaFont Plaza with 20 other food trucks, I'm the only 1952 Metro van curbside. By default, I'm going to stand out like, you know, like people are going to be like, what is this? So mm -hmm. the curiosity is going to bring you in front of the truck. The sample is what's going to make you say, ooh, and ah. And now you're listening to the music while you're waiting for your, you know, um, cookies and cream sundae or shake or whatever it is you, you decide to order. So you have so many different elements that stimulating you, right? So, I mean, you have the music, you have the truck, you have the conversation, and you have the free sample that you're still thinking about while I prepare your Sunday. And when you get it, the exchange, the customer service is going to be excellent as well. And you're like, that's memorable. Yeah. Like, that's really memorable. That was always my goal is like, how do you create this memorable experience, you know, that like, even for someone who's lactose may say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, today I'm bringing my pills because I'm, I'm getting some custard. And that's a true story. I have people all the time that like, dude, I can't, like the only way I can eat, you know, any dairy based stuff is if I, you know, I take my pills. Right. And uh, they're like, but yeah, I got them right here. Let's go, right? <laughs> that's the <laughs> so, biggest compliment in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So they, it always, it, you know, it warms my heart when people tell me stuff like that. I'm like, man, okay. I do, I do want to talk about the product itself because obviously all of this stuff is branding. It's part of the experience. But if the core, like the custard itself is not great, people are probably not going to come back. But people do come back because the custard itself is fantastic. And so I want to talk a little bit about, obviously you 
that the style of custard that you do, you bill yourself as Wisconsin style custard. And you, it seems like you really take pride in kind of the authenticity of that, of that title and that kind of style mm-hmm. for people who don't know what is Wisconsin style custard, what, what kind of goes into the process behind making it, what makes it stand out? So a lot of folks on the East coast, they're, they're, they're used to uh, like Rita's yeah. um, frozen custard. And, um, you know, Rita's frozen custard, um, you know, is made in a soft serve machine. So what happens, um, you know, with a soft serve machine, um, there's a lot of air pumped into it. So air mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the um, frozen dessert, you know, world, you know, when you, if you hear someone say overrun, that's, that's the same as saying air, right? So the more air um, that you pump into your, you know, into your, um, you know, you know, frozen custard or the more air you pump into your soft serve, whatever it's going to expand. Think of a marshmallow. Um, think that you pump a ton of air into it. It doesn't change. It, it changes the size, but not the density. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have a big marshmallow, but it's going to weigh virtually the same. It's just expanded. Um, so a traditional soft serve machine that, you know, that you would see at like Arita's, that's what you're getting. You're getting um, less dairy, eggs and cream and more air. When you buy a cup of custard, you're getting the eggs, the dairy, the mm-hmm. cream. You're getting that's what you're paying for, and that's what you're getting. You know, um, frozen custard, a traditional frozen custard machine, it's slow churned. It's also frozen at a at a warmer temperature. So if you if you do like a side by side taste test with frozen custard and the other treats within a frozen category, let's say traditional hard ice cream, froyo, um, gelato. Frozen custard is ultra smooth. It's yeah. like it's like a ribbon, and the reason why is because it's it doesn't allow um, there's you know you you freeze at a warmer temperature, so the ice crystal that you traditionally see on normal on traditional ice hard ice cream it doesn't happen with frozen custard. You know because the frozen I make frozen custard fresh every day. You know when I'm open, and we serve everything that we make that day. Mm-hmm. we start over fresh every day it's, a, it's much more labor intensive than like a soft serve machine or a traditional um or traditional ice, you know um ice cream a lot of folks you know um you know would prefer to use a soft serve machine or you know you know make the make you know their their, their frozen dessert put it into a freezer and then you know in two weeks you can use it that's easy i mean you can spend you know uh, you know two days you know, on production, and then you've got a stockpile of ice cream. Yeah, that's not that's not the case with frozen custard. Frozen custard is made fresh every day. Um, it's more work. I mean, but but I always said to myself, like, I got to be real with myself. If I'm if I'm going to create a product, it's got to be something that I love, and I love frozen custard. You know, I'm not, I mean, the other frozen desserts are good. If, if you know, and I don't have a you know problem if I'm out traveling in Utah and I can't have a frozen custard. Yeah. I'll I'll substitute with something else, but I'm gonna be honest with you. I never get tired of eating frozen custard. Yeah. Why did you, what, what, why did you decide to just go with vanilla? I know some people like expect there to be like 15 different flavors, but you stick with the vanilla and you stick with it. Tried and true. So vanilla bean frozen custard is, is is my flagship flavor. You know, here in America, we got 32 flavors and you know, all these different, (laughs) you know, we have all the, we have variety, right? And then you go to some of these um, other, you know, countries and it's just vanilla. And so I always thought, I was like, well, 
if vanilla is the most popular worldwide, why try to make a variety? And and the more you make, um, the 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 potential to like you know make a inferior product increase mm-hmm. because it's, it it is if you're doing it fresh every single day, it's labor intensive. So I just really told myself, I want to nail the vanilla bean. If I can make vanilla bean amazing and like you know like so delicious that you're gonna want it, um, I can make you any flavor from that. Like I keep fresh strawberries on the truck, so if someone comes to the truck and, or or the shop. And they say, hey, Brandon, we want a strawberry, uh, we want strawberry flavored custard. Okay, no problem. I'm going to scoop vanilla and then I'm going to, you know, blend in fresh strawberries. I always just felt like if I can, if I can, I don't want to mask over, you know, my product with having, you know, these these seasonal flavors or these trendy flavors, but I really wanted the, the, the product to stand on its own. If you don't, if you don't nail vanilla, it's going to be hard to nail anything else. <laughs> right? No, that's, no, that's true. Yeah. It's, by the way, for listeners, it is uh, probably around 10 a.m. and I'm already salivating for custard. So <laughs> we, we have to work, we have to we have to figure out how we can get you an Uber, you know, delivery. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is obviously changing changing tax a little bit here, but obviously, I think everybody in in the food industry and restaurant industry has been impacted by the pandemic in one way or another. I'm sort of curious from your perspective because you have been functioning as a food truck up until this point, obviously you're opening your first brick and mortar location within the next few weeks, but you're, you're up until like all of 2020, you were still operating as a food truck. How did that impact goodies specifically? Did it impact you tremendously because people aren't coming out for food trucks? How did that work for you? I think my saving grace to be very honest was the fact that I had a food truck. So like, okay. Um, you know, yes, I was the the impact was 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 strong. It was deep and wide. But I used to be in D.C. seven days a week. I would change locations: the Front Plaza, you know, um, State Department, Union Station, like mm-hmm. all the all the major food truck hubs in D.C. I frequented those those during the week. Fast forward, you know, or rewind to March, you know, February, March of last year, and then you know, the pandemic hits and it's literally like everything shuts down, like mm-hmm. everything. Everyone is teleworking, um, office buildings in, in DC are like empty, no tourists. I mean, no events, everything is done. And I started thinking how I'm gonna pivot. I still got, I still have bills to pay. I still got to put food on my table and, and, and so forth. Sure. And um, I think what, what, what saved me was as a food truck, you're mobile. You can go, you know, that, that is your brick and mortar. Like you pick yeah. up and you go where the people are at. What I realized was that people that worked in DC were now at home at their apartment complex in their neighborhood, you know, associations, um, you know, and, you know, they, they were now home-based offices. And so my f- customers would say, Hey, Brandon, would you be able to come in, would you be interested in coming to, to, to our neighborhood, like, you know, um, Bellhaven or Ravenswood or whatever, we have 300 homes here or whatever the case would be. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, um, I remember a customer of mine in DC was like, hey, Brandon, do you deliver? Do you deliver? And I was like, no, I said, but talk to me, tell me more. And she's like, well, I have a neighborhood and we have, I don't know, um, 
200 homes. She's like, I'll put together an order form for you. I'll send it out to our, you know, um, community email list and, and Facebook page. And then um, I'll send you what people want. Can we put together an abbreviated menu? I said, absolutely. True story. So um, it was, it was, a, it was, it was like a crazy number of, of pints and, yeah. and I delivered them. Never did that before. And they were like, this is amazing. Would you, would you do this more often if, if the demand was there? I was like, yeah, just let me know. So I, I think for me, it was like, you know, I, I came from the mobile world. Yeah. So I've always, I've always been on the go, like the gingerbread man, like we've all, we, I've been on the go. So it, what had, what, what I learned was I had to pivot from, you know, the comfortable DC food truck world and business to like the suburban areas. Was the business the same as seven days a week? No, but was it enough business um, that I could survive and pay the bills? Yes. Um, it took, you know, you know, we had a conversation a year ago regarding the ice house because the goal was to open last year. Yeah. But, you know, I had to make a choice. I mean, the choice was, do I put food on my table and take care of my, you know, like my day-to-day responsibilities or do I rehab the ice house building? The money, the money wasn't coming in to do both. So I had to make a choice a year, uh, you know, 18 months later or whatever it is. You know we're at we're 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 at the home stretch of the renovations and getting open at the ice house. One of the other things that I did was you know during the renovation this during the slow renovation process of the ice house, I would pull the truck up on the weekends, um, you know, in 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 front of the ice house. That was yeah. twofold. One was I knew that I was going to be delayed, but I had started thinking. I was like, well, I'm going to open here. I have the ice house building. Why not utilize it? Why not mm-hmm. start to why not why not start to create uh, the following for the ice house building. So when I do open, you know, my customers would know where it's at. So I knew that. And I was like, well, uh, let's do a pop-up. And I, I think it was Memorial day weekend. Maybe, um, I did my first pop-up there and it was huge. I was like, <laughs> I was like blown. <laughs> I was really blown. I was, you know, I, I was like, Oh, this is going to be a once a month pop-up, man. Let me be honest with you. I started going every weekend you know, and it was stuff like that. So you go from seven days a week business to three days a week. What that taught me was, Brandon, you know, learn to do more with less, you know, um, you know, be appreciative of what you have and not what you lost. Because what you lost, you cannot get back. What you got is, I'm healthy, I'm here, I'm, you know. And, um, you know, the fact that I can still get up and go out and, you know, make a good, you know, make a good faith effort at trying to, you know, make a living. Yeah. That's better than some that didn't wake up. I think knowing that knowing that 21 is still a recovery year. I mean, I'm still I'm still like cautious and I'm still like not, you know, trying to you know um, do more than I can handle. But I'm 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 basing it on the three to four days that I would get last year on the three to four days in 20 you know 21. And um, you know if I get anything above and beyond that, I'm you know I count that as a blessing. That, you know, on, 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 on the positive side. Yeah. I do want to talk about the ice house. What, what made you decide to opt for a brick and mortar location, specifically this location in Alexandria, because it, it fits, I think from people hearing you talk for the last hour or so people know kind of what your vibe is and what you like in your brand. And the ice house seems to fit a lot of that. Did you see that right off the bat or 
to take a little bit of exploration. When I started looking at like, um, you know, you know, a brick and mortar, I did not want to go into just your traditional development. I, I didn't want to just be a inline store unit because sure. I felt like there was no character, there was no personality, there was no unique, you know, um, conversation to be had about that. And so when I really thought about like the type of physical location that I wanted, I wanted it to resonate with the brand. I wanted it to have similar touch points as Gigi. I wanted people to be like, man, like, tell me about the, the building. How old is it? What was it before? You know, is that the, you know, is that the original door? Is this, I mean, just you, you name it. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted it to be authentic and I wanted it to be credible. And, um, you, you know, like when I first saw the ice house, maybe like seven years ago, it wasn't obviously in the condition that it is in now, but I saw the potential and I was like, that's it. I don't know how I'm going to make that my frozen custard shop, but that's it right there, you know? And, um, you know, and I had this vision in my head. I was like, this is, this is, this fits the goodies brand. Mm-hmm. It's, it's period appropriate. It's, um, you know, it was, you know, um, um, hand built, meaning, you know, like, um, you know, you, you had masons getting out there, you know, pouring in the foundation and, and, you know, putting bricks together. Right. I mean, I looked at that and I was like, this is like, this is what, made in america mint you know if mm-hmm. you, i actually got you know you know i have um a couple of the original bricks from the ice house because i had to enlarge the serving window and i was like i'm going to keep these bricks because i guess you know I, i'm going to find a use for them somewhere down the road you take a modern a, a brick now compared to a brick from 1930s day and night difference mm-hmm. one is super the, the, the older brick is super heavy you compare them side by side and you can see the quality Whereas the new brick is just, they're light. They're just, they're, they're not that good. You can tell. What that told me was, is that the story of the building is a story of goodies, right? It's this craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. It was built to last, right? Um, the original owner of the ice house building was the mutual ice company. They was one of the largest ice purveyors in this area. You know, the, the, the physical locations or the physical warehouse where they produce the ice is gone. There are physical reminders, but the legacy lives on, mm-hmm. right? In the ice house building. And so when I thought about that, I was like, you know, even if Brandon is not here, how do you have the legacy carry on, right? That carries on by the, this, the ice house building that carries on by the product that carries on by Gigi. So when I really thought about, it, I was like credibility, authenticity, you know, we want, we want to be a legacy brand. We want folks to know that like, you know, these guys are here to stay. And I felt like the really, really one of the most, you know, the strongest ways of, of communicating that was those, those aesthetics of the, of the brand yeah, and the building being one. So yeah, did I see the, did I see um, the ice house years ago as like the quintessential, um, you know, flagship brick and mortar? Totally. You know, and then I like that, but when you look at, you know, Old Town in general. I mean, you you know, Old Town, just the name Old Town, yeah. right? Like, it really fits. I mean, I think what the, the thing about it is, is that, you you know, nostalgia is being replaced with modernism. And so what attracted attracts folks to a place like Old Town or, you know, classic Main Street America 
yeah. is the you is, is this cute mom and pop feel these unique shops these places that are like really unique to that area or neighborhood or whatever and um i i wanted i i really in my mind i was just like i need to be in a place that respects that kind of stuff you know that you know then i can just go in and just you know let it become overdeveloped with glass windows and steel structures by the time this episode comes out likely the the goodies will be open for people to be able to go to go and and visit but for you at this point what does it feel like for it to be and feel that close after after obviously the delays and kind of what the last year has been like for you yeah i mean so i i liken it to like graduation day we're about to walk across the stage we're about to you know you know we're about to get handed that diploma you know ie which is you know cut the ribbon yeah um so it's been a it, honestly it's it's been <laughs> It's um, it's um, it's been extremely rewarding. It's been extremely difficult, but at the same time, I'm like, I see the finish line right down there. You know, I see the scissors cutting through the ribbon. I see the, you know, the diploma being handed to me. You know, and um, that's a, that's a remarkable feeling because I'll be very honest. I mean, with the pan, with with just the pandemic alone, and then everything else that comes with getting permits. Yeah. Um, getting the work done. I mean, all the, you know, getting it just right. The, 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 all the, you know, the family community garden day, right. It's all those things coming together and you're like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're here, man. Like we're here. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely excited and um, I'm hopeful that the the community is equally as excited um, that, this little building has, has been preserved and it's going to, you know, function as goodies, um, you know, world headquarters and everything else. Uh, so I'm really excited though. I'm super excited. We link these episodes together kind of with questions posed by the previous guest for the current guest without knowing who they are. So we get to the chance to kind of connect people from all over Alexandria who otherwise might not know each other, might not interact with each other. Um, and for, for you, this is, I mean, this is quite a, a just a juxtaposition of people, but our last guest was the Commonwealth's attorney, Brian Porter, obviously operating in a very different world than you are. Um, but uh, he, he asked for you, not knowing you were the current guest, he asked, have you played a musical instrument in the past? Do you still play a musical instrument? And for how long have you played? And obviously you were in the world of music, but I don't know if you yourself had any kind of personal musical experience. That's a, well, that's a good, good question. Um, but actually I don't. Okay. And, um, so I, yeah, I've never, um, I, I, um, very, very young. Um, I toyed around with drums, but it never materialized into me, you know, me becoming a, a, a you know, a, a rocker or anything like that, a drummer. Um, so to be honest, no, um, you know, I don't play any, I didn't play any, um, I think my love for music just came from like being in the church and listening to music, you know, you know, just as a, as a kid and, um, even still, you know, today, um, I sometimes, to be honest, guys, sometimes, you know, wish I had and, 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 but how I, I will also, you know, add on to that is say, you know, if I did play an instrument, it would be the guitar. Okay. And why? The reason why is because of Chuck Berry. You know, he, in my opinion, he's the, the 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 greatest guitarist out there. 
so many other artists are inspired by him and 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 you know his ability you know on on the guitar so i just jam out to him like you know uh, air guitar i'm guilty yeah. of, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm guilty of air guitar and all that like seriously and trying, to, and trying to duck walk i'm like yeah i got this right what uh what question do you have for the next guest not knowing who they are mm. so one of the things so here's my here's here's um here's my question but i want to just give a little background um, Please. To, to it as well yeah. so when you know, when I talk to my, my, my niece, my great nieces, um, although they're young um, and or I talk to friends and family, they, they always ask me like, you know, Brandon, like, you know, any advice that you can give to someone in business, what would that be? And I'm like, well, there's a ton of it. But like, you know, people always want you to come up with like this single yeah. response. And I'm like, that's really difficult to come up with a single response. But what I've come, but what I've concluded is, is that and this is my question, um, is that you have to have a USP. And so you're probably saying, what's a USP? And for me, what a USP is, what is your unique selling proposition? Mm. What defines you? What makes you unique? What makes you different? What makes your brand, your, you know, you know, um, job skills or whatever you do, whether it's you work for yourself, you work for someone, um, or you're still trying to figure out what to do. The question that it is, what is your USP? What is your unique selling proposition? Then that's not just to yourself, but to the world, to your boss, you know, to your friends, you know, and 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 down the road, right? That's that's everything. You know, that those that's that's what I would suggest or you know, tell anyone, you know, find it. Once you think about it, you find it, honestly, you'll find your path. It, it, you might start out in kinesiology, but once you really hone in on your USP, you know, you'll be like, Oh, I got it. Yeah, you'll find <laughs> your going, custard cruiser. Hey, there you go, my man. You <laughs> cruising the main streets of DC and Alexandria, right? <laughs> exactly. No, thank you so much, Brandon. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, and I can't wait to get uh to get my first cup of custard from you guys at the Ice House. Absolutely, I look forward to. It. I appreciate you having me. Okay, take it easy, Alexandria. Mm-hmm.